0: Welcome to another live edition of Highway 89, Utah's most scenic musical byway. I'm Stephen Cap Perry, and in a Highway 89 first, we have the entire cast of an opera in our studio today. That's right, Westminster College has brought all 12 singers of their production of Dido and Aeneas here. The director, Michael Chipman, and conductor Brian Stuckey are also in the studio, as well as pianist Kimi Kawashima, who is seated at the Steinway today. Although she'll be playing a harpsichord for the full-scale performances at Westminster. The first performance of Henry Purcell's Dido and Aeneas was at a girls' school in 1688. And even though the opera only takes a little more than an hour to perform, it's considered one of the finest English operas written before the 20th century and an important milestone in the opera timeline. Not bad considering it was Henry Purcell's first and only attempt at an all-sung opera. Some of you might recall, if you were paying attention in Freshman English, that Dido and Aeneas is a tragic love story, stemming from Virgil's epic poem, The Aeneid. In the opera, the opening scene begins with Dido, the Queen of Carthage, talking with her sister Belinda about the Trojan hero Aeneas, who Belinda hopes Dido will marry. Our cast for this section of the music, Dido, Corinne Reidman, Hilary Olson singing the part of Belinda, and one of Dido's handmaidens, Kelly Burke-Gabassi. Also, the chorus will take part. We'll hear from Act 1, Scene 1, Shake the Cloud Off Your Brow, Ah, Belinda, I Impressed with Torment, and Belinda the Handmaid and the chorus will finish this section with Fear No Danger. From the opera Dido and Aeneas, from Act 1, Scene 1, Shake the Cloud Off Your Brow, Ah Belinda, I Impressed with Torment, and Fear No Danger. This is Highway 89, a live music performance program broadcast live on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio and Classical 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. My guest for the moment, Michael Chipman, Assistant Professor of Music and Head of the Voice Program at Westminster College since 2008, Dido and Aeneas marks marks his directorial debut. Michael, first of all, thank you for coming and for bringing the group. Oh, we're thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. This is really fun to hear a piece of history. You know, this was before Wagner, before Puccini, before so many things that we think of as opera. And uh, it's, it's cool to be part of that. Now, there are a lot of music programs around, but not all of them do operas. So tell me about making this leap. Well, uh,
1: you know, it's interesting that you brought up the, the. The idea that this is not exactly what people think of as when, when they think of opera, the, the concept of opera usually people conjure the images of of grand opera of Wagner, you know, the the helmets and the braids and the, <laughs> and Aida with elephants and you know uh, the, the grand opera that happened in in the 1900s, and there's so much beautiful beautiful music that uh, happened before that. Opera started uh, actually as a little intermezzi, these, uh, there were these plays that were held for for royalty. And in the middle, while they were uh, having scene changes, they would have singers come out and do little vignettes. And those became so popular that that's what people started coming to see, it was these vignettes of the intermezzi. And then by the, by 1600, the, the vignettes had taken over and become the main event. And uh, there are so many great operas that were composed for smaller spaces, for smaller ensembles and uh, uh, for younger voices. And all of those things describe things that Westminster is really good at. And and in fact, we are constrained by, almost gratefully, we we have a small uh, facility, a small school, a small student body young singers, all undergraduates. And so for us to do chamber opera, to do operas that, are, that were set for smaller forces is, is kind of ideal. And the more that I've researched, the more that I've gotten into the, uh, these operas, the more that I'm finding. And it's really exciting to think about the future and the possibilities of bringing some of these lesser-known gems of opera into the uh, artistic community here.
0: This is a, a perfect vehicle for your program is this an opera you chose after you saw who was in the program or did you choose it and you were just crossing your fingers (laughs) the right people would show up it's a good question And, and yes actually i chose this opera based
1: on uh who we thought we had i mean we did auditions and we we really tried to see who would who would fit which part best and uh the amazing thing about the size of our program is that after we, uh, Kimi Kawashima, our fantastic pianist, and I did the auditions. And afterwards, the, the singers that came and auditioned, basically every single one of them fell into a slot. <laughs> mm. So, uh, and we actually only have three people who are not principals. Every, all of the principals are also singing in the chorus. There's only 12 people in the entire cast. And it's remarkable the beauty and the, the strength of the sound that these, that these young, talented singers are able to produce. Well, maybe you've started to answer
0: this, but what will your students get? What will the cast get from being in an opera that they would not get from standing there as a choir? Well,
1: that's a, that's a very good question, too. There is, um, you know, there's there's a... It wasn't an easy decision to come to, to, to do an opera here. It was a little bit of a leap of faith. But I knew, having trained in opera myself and having gone through the experience and, and worked uh, as as a professional singer as well, I know what it takes to get to the point where these students are. And I think now they know what it takes. And this is, now they know what the expectation is at a professional level. Uh, They know how much work, how much time, how much sort of simmering the music has to have in their brains, in their voices, in their bodies to be ready to stand on stage and just let go and perform and and, and have relationships and, and act on stage without having to think about notes and rhythms and technique and all of those things that we spend so much time talking about. And so part of the reason that we chose to do this is that the process of learning to do this, of putting an opera on the stage, teaches students something that they can't learn in any other way, in addition to just being a fantastic piece of music that deserves to
0: be heard. Michael Chipman, the director, thank you so much. We'll have the cast get in place now for our next section. I'm excited to hear the, how the story progresses. The cast, and I hasten to, uh, to assure that this is not, not typecasting, two witches, Christy Peterson and Anna Hunter, <laughs> Belinda Dido's sister, Hilary Olson, and we'll hear again from Dido, Connie Reidman, Corinne Reidman, and Anais Chris Slager. From Act 1, but ere we this perform, from the witches, and then from Act 2, scene 1, thanks to these lonesome, lonesome veils and haste, haste to town.
2: hold upon my its spear a monster's head stands bleeding with torches far exceeding those that defeat us huntsmen tear.
0: From Act Two, Scene One, we've heard Haste, Haste to Town. The witches have been busy brewing up a storm to break up the couple and their hunting party. I'm Stephen Cap Perry, and you're listening to Highway 89. Brian Stuckey is the music director for Westminster College, this production of Dido and Aeneas. This is his conducting debut. He's a professional opera singer and cellist, and a member of Westminster's adjunct vocal faculty. Brian, thank you so much for coming. It's
3: my pleasure. Happy to be this here.
0: is really jaunty music. I'm looking around the room and everybody's sort of lilting and, and you know, I picture that we all should have powdered wigs or something. Do you have you always loved Baroque?
3: I have actually. Um, I um <laughs> Unlike a lot of kids who get into music, my first uh, musical love was baroque music. Um, I think most uh, younger people who discover classical music if they discover it tend to discover things that have a little bit more immediate appeal, especially to a you know rowdy little boy like the eighteen twelve overture or uh you know just sort of the noisier T- brass music things it. that sound more like <laughs> the things that sound like the soundtrack of star Wars or <laughs> uh-huh. that sort of thing and um i uh I remember discovering Vivaldi's Four Seasons on a tape that we had um, around the house when I was a kid, and I just fell in love with it. To me, there was something so amazing about the, the stress and pull of what was happening in the harmonies of the music, and I loved the activity and sort of the, the illustrative nature of what he was doing with the piece. And And probably for a year, when I was <clears throat> 11 or 12, I would fall asleep to the Four Seasons every night, which is so geeky. But that is... <laughs> I'm owning it. It's the truth. Um, <laughs>
0: We're with you. We're with
3: you here. <laughs> and so, um, so, yeah, before I really... Developed a great love for, um, for Beethoven and for Tchaikovsky and for Brahms and the others. I, I really loved Baroque music, and that included Bach, which for some people is kind of an acquired taste later on, but I loved Bach as a, as a younger boy. So
0: Brian, I heard in my research... That you even had a Pandora station that was Henry Purcell.
3: That is correct. (laughs) It's a very reliable Pandora station That's way geekier than (laughs) the Four
0: Seasons. (laughs) Now, in the production, you'll be uh, conducting a chamber chamber ensemble, harpsichord. So everyone who's listening, picture in your mind, instead of the piano, harpsichord. That just transports Mm -hmm. you. And two violins, a violin and cello. That must be exciting to do. It's
3: wonderful, yes. Um, You know, we work so long with the piano in the rehearsal studio before we get onto the stage, and then we still work for quite a while on the stage uh, before we get the instruments with us. So it's just an excellent experience for the students to have that sound underneath them to have that sort of sustaining support and to have the added detail
0: of those of those parts Um, it's just you know it really
3: makes it come alive.
0: Do you think it makes a difference to you as a conductor that for instance you've been a cellist and a singer dependent upon a director. How does that influence what you do?
3: It definitely it definitely influences very much the way I approach it. Having been at the uh, disposal of so many conductors in my life, you sort of <laughs> certainly develop uh, opinions about what, what you would like, you know, what mm-hmm. your ideal conductor would be. And so I sort of strive to be an ideal performer's conductor. Um, I think there are some conductors who Uh, whose goal is to sort of make sure that their vision of the piece is realized no matter what. And then there are other conductors whose goal is is to elicit the best possible performance from the forces that they have at hand.
0: So one final question, which is when you're directing and the people are finally on stage, I mean are you can you really direct the actors or I mean if they're running from witches and oncoming storms do you have to sort of yield then and follow and follow what they do
3: At times at times that does happen definitely but um we've definitely found um being on stage and and working with the the action that that the, the most exciting music happens when we're able to to form a little bit of connection between where I am at and the stage and and we're we've really been able to create some magical moments, which is a, a very impressive thing for this being a first-time opera troupe. Um, so it's been very exciting.
0: Brian Stuckey, thank you very much. Music director from Westminster College. We'll have our trio and the others get in place now. We'll be hearing the cast for this next section, Aeneas, the Trojan Prince, that's Christopher Stockslager. Slager. Dido, Corinne Reidman, Belinda, Hilary Olson, and, of course, we need to acknowledge again our accompanist, Kimi Kawashima, at the piano. We'll hear your counsel, all is urged in vain. The trio and great minds against themselves conspire. Now that the witches have separated them, the sorceress endeavors to make Aeneas believe that Jove, the king of the gods, has commanded him to leave Dido and embark on a special mission without telling her, which, of course, breaks her heart.
2: Your console Let Joe say what he please. I'll stay away. Away. No, no, I'll stay away, away.
0: From Act Three of Dido and Aeneas, your counsel is all urged in vain, and great minds against themselves conspire. I'm Stephen Cap Perry, and you're listening to selections from Henry Purcell's opera Dido and Aeneas, performed live by a student cast from Westminster College in Salt Lake City. Corinne Reidman is singing the role of Dido in the Westminster production. She's a junior majoring in elementary education with a minor in music. How can you have a minor in music and be starring in an opera?
4: That is an excellent question, (laughs) and you would have to talk to Michael Chipman about that. (laughs) Um, No, it's been an absolute joy uh, and I'm so grateful that I've had the opportunity and the time um with my uh, other studies as such so i could be a part of the production
0: and i understand that music has always been part of your life playing french horn
4: yes yes um i didn't start singing seriously until i was a freshman in college uh, in junior high and high school i played the french horn um and as a little kid you know you always sing i started um singing like in three with the sunshine generation group that used to be in town um but I never took the voice seriously as an instrument until I started studying with Michael Chipman about two years ago.
0: Were you surprised what you could do?
4: Very, very surprised. I remember the look on Michael Chipman's face that day in October, actually. It was quite memorable. Uh, something in my brain thought, oh, I'm going to try this. And we were doing some warm-ups, and he... His eyes, I think, were about to bug right out of his head. And he's like, have you ever sung like that before? And I was no. And all of a sudden, it's taken us on this grand trajectory. And I'm so excited to see where it goes.
0: You know, I have spoken with more than one singer who does opera who at some point felt this shift in their voice or, or their mind that you're talking about and found this other thing that they didn't even know was in them. I think that's remarkable.
4: Yeah, I do as well.
0: Now, you're playing this part of Dido. And it wouldn't be an opera, I guess, If it weren't tragic, if anyone were happy at the end. So tell me about, uh, in a situation like this, how does the audience relate to her? Do you feel like you do, that they will?
4: That's an excellent question, and I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, At first, just looking at the libretto and the text of the piece, Dido is a very flat person that you don't see right away why we should care about dido the opera starts right off dido's already depressed we don't know why because she refuses to tell us um she falls in love with Aeneas, but again we don't know exactly why she has fallen in love with Aeneas. all that we know is that Aeneas is the last straw before she takes her own life uh I'm not naturally like that, so... So
0: glad to hear that. I am
4: too. Uh, And so making Dido human was very, very challenging to me. Um, And I had the realization that there are people in our lives, and I think everyone in the studio can think of at least one person in our life that we love immensely, but drive us absolutely bonkers. And we have no idea why we care for this person. Uh, they suck all of your emotional energy out of you.
0: I see the cast all looking at each other. <laughs> Am I the one?
4: <laughs> yeah, they, You know, there are those people in your lives that you allow to be there, um, and you have those moments like, why do I put all this energy into this? And I think Dido is one of those people, at least in this current time in her life. She's just incredibly needy and is one of those energy suckers. So that's one way how I've, um, made her three-dimensional. And of course, Henry Purcell gives you quite a bit in the actual music. If Purcell didn't care about her, she wouldn't have such hauntingly beautiful stuff to sing. So,
0: so two last performance questions. One, you've done a lot of other kinds of singing. Is this a more athletic event to, to do an opera and be on stage moving around while you're doing this?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just singing in a concert you have other individuals to help support you um, in a choir setting um, moving around in a choir, um, I have discovered muscles that I need to breathe that I didn't even know that I could use um, as I've studied classically. And I was like, ah, what? I'm using that muscle to, to get to that note? It's quite amazing.
0: Now, now we, uh, we spied on you on Facebook.
4: Oh, lovely.
0: <laughs> and you have, you have this wonderful comment I have to ask you about. Okay. You said, and I quote, First rehearsal since the break. Between now and the performance, my focus will be on collapsing gracefully in a very specific spot.
4: Yes. Oh,
0: and singing. (laughs) Uh, Is this the choreography when she's finally the end has come and you have to hit your mark and die in the right spot yes
4: yes and we have to do it in such a way so that my dress is flowing over Belinda's dress (laughs) and we don't want to be sitting on um, any of the props that I have dropped at that point because we're there for a very long time um Luckily, with the way that we have structured rehearsals, um, all of us, I feel like, for the most part, are very, very comfortable with the music aspect of it. But we haven't had very long on the actual set. So what I was referring to there is I want to run the show and be solid on my blocking.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Corinne Reidman. We wish you luck in hitting that spot when you collapse gracefully. It sounds like it will be a beautiful passing. Heartbroken. At Aeneas' departure, Dido believes she has been cursed by the gods and the opera ends with Dido taking her life. We'll hear now from Act 3, Thy Hand, Belinda, When I Am Laid in Earth. This is the most famous aria of the opera, popularly, popularly referred to as Dido's Lament. And then we'll hear the chorus swooping in with drooping wings, ye cupids come. Music from Dido and Aeneas with drooping wings, ye cupids come, the music of the chorus after Dido's lament and her death. That ends this very enjoyable piece of history, this edition of Highway 89. This hour featured student singers from Westminster College performing selections of Henry Purcell's Dido and Aeneas*, and they were accompanied throughout the hour by pianist Kimi Kawashima. I've also chatted with conductor Brian Stuckey and the director of Westminster's first fully staged opera, Michael Chipman. Michael, thank you so much for bringing your cast today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. It has been a pleasure for me to be reminded that there's also opera that doesn't need subtitles. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to hear it in English. The Opera Studio Program at Westminster College gives young singers the chance to learn the art of singing on stage. Performance opportunities include operas with chamber ensemble, opera scenes, and other special events on and off campus. Westminster College is located in Salt Lake City, Utah, and information about the school's music program as well as upcoming productions and performances is easily found online at westminstercollege.edu slash music. Performing live on national radio isn't an easy task for any musician, and I'd like to once again thank all of our mus- musicians one more time for being here and giving us a great performance, and I wish you all best of luck with your upcoming show. We're always glad to hear from our listeners. We welcome your comments and questions about the program. To contact us, simply email us at highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Mark Waite, and the show's producer is Jackie Tateishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening.